Wessa, good to be with you today. How are we? We're all good. Well, just want to greet you here in this room and Westside Anywhere. Hello, greetings to you. Speedway Campus South Sanctuary, however we might gra- uh, gather this, is awesome. How are we doing March Madness-wise, by the way? We're all, uh, your, your bracket's holding steady? Yeah? Is it March Madness or is it March Gladness or Sadness? I mean, where, where, do you, where are you ranking here right now? Uh, I'm still in the glad category thanks to Abilene, right? Uh, taking down the number three seed, Texas. Anytime Texas just goes down, I'm a, ha- I'm a happy guy. Um, how many of you saw that game? Just by raise a hand. And again, if you're experiencing this through a screen, raise your hand still. Yeah, so how about that clutch moment, 1.9 seconds left, right? Joe Pleasant, Kansas City kid at the line with, they're down by one, and he's got two shots at the free throw line. And he just nails them both. So awesome. And here's a little fun aside. My friend, been a dear friend for about 10 plus years, West Sider, part of our A2 community, Ryan Hoover. He is that kid's free throw coach. He's a shooting coach. How about that? Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So if, if that helped your bracket, you might want to just help out Ryan Hoover a little bit on the side to say thank you for uh, keeping you in the game there. Hoover has a great, actually, story. He was a professional basketball player in Italy for about 13 years before that. He was a standout at Notre Dame. In Italy, he would just, he had this sweet J. He was fiery and tenacious. They called him Il Soldato, which is soldier in Italian. So if that gives you any, any kind of idea. And he told me this really fascinating story about playing in Italy. He said, after every game, the media would grade every single player. They give them, every player a score zero to 10, and then they publish it in the next morning's papers, right? Here's, here's an example of, uh, of a scorecard straight from there. You can see uh, maybe vaguely Ryan Hoover down at the bottom. It was a bad night for, for old, old Hoover, but that's literally what they'd do. They would post it the next day, zero to 10. How are they doing, right? Now, what's the problem with that? Well, one, he says, very few of them, these journalists, actually ever played basketball, and certainly not professionally. So that's a problem, right? But not only that, they weren't in the locker room. They didn't know what the coach's game plan, scorecard, or the assignments. He, the coach could have like who, who's the sharpshooter, right? But on a defensive assignment, like your whole goal is to shut down their leading score. How would the journalists know? They wouldn't. And so it creates this whole kind of challenger issue for the players. What scorecard am I going to play by tonight? Am I going to play, uh, play up for the, for the media so that when it's published, I look good according to the stats of, of uh, popular opinion? Or am I going to take my coach's assignment? Am I going to take his scorecard or her scorecard? And am I going to be a team player and go after the real win? Constantly put them in this place of tension, like the tension I think many of us live and feel, which is this. What scorecard am I living by and according to in my life. Because every single day, and really frankly, at birth, you and I were handed a scorecard. And no matter what continent you live on or culture, it pretty much all boils down to where you live, what you do, how much you have in the bank. It's about your connections, your appearances, your possessions, your resources, your portfolio, is it not? And frankly, if we just step back for a second, we just go, it's a horrible way to live, to constantly be compared 
uh, to, to the kind of the scorecard of, of the world. You never measure up. Even by all appearances, if you are as successful, there's still this empty kind of rattle of going, but I'm not like that guy. I'm not like that gal. I haven't quite taken. What's next? And there's this rat race of trying to live by the wrong scorecard. That's what I love about being a follower of Jesus is Jesus just constantly over and over comes to me, comes to you and says, I live by a different scorecard. I have a different scorecard and I'm gonna give it to you. And so we're in the series called The One Campaign. And again, this thing is transcending just Kansas City. This is all over the world on different continents, on different countries. We're all just going down deep. We're staying down long on the person of Jesus uh, according to the Gospel of Mark, we're just looking at Jesus. Basically, in, in the metaphor today, we're looking at Jesus as our coach and how he gives you and me a different scorecard to live by. And I want to just, here's what I want to do today. I want us to do a little compare contrast of the scorecard of the world. And by world, by the way, I love the world. God so loved the world. There's nothing wrong with the world. It just turns out there's this ethos, there's this methodology, there's this values-based system that the world kind of measures you and I by versus the scorecard of Jesus. And we're just going to say, how do they compare? How do they contrast? We're going to look at seven quick moments in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus basically takes his disciples' scorecard and goes, give it to me. <laughs> He just blows it up. He goes, now here, I want, I want to give you this. And that's what we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles, old school or digital, turn to Mark in the New Testament. We're going to jump in right at chapter 9, verse 33. Here's the first moment. It says, they came to Capernaum. When he was alone in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. This is a kind of a, like a power question. I think the backdrop is succession. Jesus had been foreshadowing enough to them, like, look, hey, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm ultimately going to die. I won't be with you forever. And they start going, huh, I wonder who's going to be our next coach. And they just start kind of arguing back and forth. And Jesus knows this or senses this. However, in his Jedi ways, he, he does. He asks the question, and they just go on mute, right? Because they don't want to admit that they've been having a really silly argument about, oh, like, you? Why you? I don't get it. You, me? Oh, you know, they're just doing this thing. And Jesus says, time out. Calls the, calls the timeout, grabs the coach's chair, puts it out about halfway in, you know, towards center court, says, huddle up, y'all, huddle up. And he says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He's saying, I keep a different score. I know that winning, according to the world, means you go first. But winning, according to me, means you go last. And the disciples are like, what? All that we've ever learned and been taught is that actually you go first. And you and I, Americans, individualistic, go, 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 get them, get them. It's like, what? You, what, what does that even mean? And constantly, Jesus is going to be ripping up the scorecard, giving them a new one. Let's go to the number two here. Now, there's this moment where other people are doing really good things. They are casting out demons in Jesus' name. But what's the problem? Well, the disciples have this issue because they weren't part of the 12. And so John, one of the disciples, comes to Jesus. He sounds like a total tattletale. He's like, teacher, 
That's literally how it says. Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told them to stop because, and then just hear this. Here's the, one of the most dangerous phrases we could ever say. Because he was not one of us. He was not one of us. Now, what is Jesus going to do in this moment? They're expecting him to go, oh, you're not one of us? Hasn't gone through my certification process? What do you mean? And Jesus goes, well, don't stop him. Don't stop him. And goes on to say, for whoever is not against us is for us. And what do we learn about this moment in the scorecard conversation? That in our world is viewed and winning comes through competition, right? And Jesus is saying, but now, according to my scorecard, it's going to come through commonality. Now, let me say this. As, as Jesus followers, there's a third C here, and it's conviction. We have convictions. We go, that's true, that's, that's falsehood, this is right, that's wrong, and, and here's the line, and, and in grace and truth, I'm going to stand in that place. That's not what we're talking about here in this moment. Like, think about the passage. What's happening? Somebody is having a demon exercised out of them. It is happening in Jesus' name. Is good happening? Right. But why is it not good to the disciples? Because whoever was doing it was not one of us. Do you see how we can make mountains out of molehills? We can splinter, we can divide, and Jesus is going, look, life is hard enough. You don't need to keep splintering and dividing. Actually seek where there's commonality and join it. I keep a different score, Jesus says. Now let's move on to the third little movement here. It's about a social issue of their day still for us today as well. And a painful one for many of us. It's about divorce. Now, for these religious experts that come to Jesus to pose the question about divorce, for them, they weren't thinking about it compassionately. They were thinking about it theologically. And they literally say, Jesus, what's your stance on divorce? Now, the backdrop on this is that there were two different camps. You had a left camp and a right camp. You had a blue camp and you had a red camp. And in one camp, it was the Rabbi Hillel that would espouse this theory that you could divorce a man. Hear this. It was only a man who did the divorcing could divorce his wife for basically anything, even if she burnt your toast. And I'm not saying that like, you know, euphemistically. Like, it literally went to that extreme. If another man found your wife as attractive, you could divorce her and blame her for that. that I mean, it was just ridiculous. Then there was another rabbi named Shammai who had a very more stringent and narrow view of what, what, what would justify divorce. And these Pharisees, they want to trip Jesus up. They want, at least want to divide and, and conquer and at least get him to say, what camp? This camp? That camp? And Jesus just goes, whoop. And he goes, I'm not going to go here. I'm going to go there. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you to the very heart of God. I'm going to take you to the very beginning, what was in God's very heart and design. Because, see, actually, in that day and age, a man could give a wife a certificate of dismissal. Like if, if you wanted to divorce her, that you were actually kind of justifiably in that day, you could write her a certificate of dismissal. And Jesus just goes, no, 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 I'm not even going to go there. Let's go to the beginning. And the beginning is, but at the beginning, verse 6, chapter 10, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And what is he saying according to the, to the scorecard of the world? I know that he says in the world, marriage can end in dismissal. But you know what for me, Jesus says, my scorecard, is you have to realize that marriage begins in dignity. 
just absolutely says, I am keeping a different score. Then it goes on from kind of this, this gender kind of thing, the, the disparity there, to now children. It says people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on, but the disciples rebuked him. I'm now in chapter 10, uh, verse uh, thir- uh, 13. Now, why would the disciples rebuke people from bringing their children to Jesus? Well, it's because they didn't have Hallmark movies back then. They didn't have like this, this kind of Hallmarkian view of children that they're near like cherubs, right? See, back in that day, children were viewed through a utilitarian mindset, like until they can go work on the field at about the age of 12 or work in the home, until they can be unit producing, well, their value isn't quite the same. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Let the children come to me. Let them come to me, he says, and do not hinder them. Do not stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So these parents are trying to get access to it, right? And here's what the world says. Status and access comes by way of hierarchy. Where do you rank? But in the kingdom of God, and according to the scorecard of Jesus, it comes through like a child, through humility. I keep a different score. We go to the very next movement, chapter 10, verse 17. This man approaches Jesus, and he's the guy that everyone goes, oh, he's got it figured out. This guy who has it all, he sits on all the boards. He's probably a community leader. He's got multiple homes and very many different places, and he's got a religious upbringing, so he's an upright guy, right? And it's just like that guy has it dialed in. But I would imagine there's this sense of kind of this rattle in him, this this kind of emptiness that he still feels. And to assuage that, he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus goes, well, you've read the Bible. What does it say? And they have this little interesting conversation about the Ten Commandments. When the man says, well, I've fulfilled all those commandments ever since I was a little boy. And that's where I love this. Verse 21, chapter 10, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And Jesus is saying, look, you could have everything in the world and still be impoverished in the deepest parts of who you are. Or you could give from the deepest part of who you are and give it all and find the greatest of riches. And what is Jesus saying from a scorecard perspective? I know that according to the world, the goal is prosperity. Just get more and more and more and more. But the new goal I'm going to give you is generosity. How do you give yourself fully away, not only in resource, but in talent and time and a generous spirit? I keep a different score. If we go on now, the sixth movement here, there's another argument with the disciples. They haven't figured out. They're just you and I, right? <laughs> no different This orientation from the world scorecard to Jesus' scorecard, man, that's a hard journey, and they're figuring it out on the fly. And so now there's this this moment where two of the guys, two of the 12, they're brothers, they have this idea. When we get to heaven, what's the pecking order of where everyone's going to sit? 
And they get really excited about the thought that maybe they could sit at Jesus' right hand and at their left hand. Now, it doesn't say it here in Mark, but in a different gospel account, they, they actually go to their mom and they say, Mom, will you go to Jesus and ask th that we sit according to the seating chart, that we sit at his right and his left? And so Mama Bear shows up. I mean, talk about helicopter parenting, right, you know? That's kind of like the mom or the dad who calls the supervisor at their kid's work and says, why did you give them a bad performance review? I mean, that's, that's a whole new level of meddling, and it doesn't go well with the other 10 disciples, probably because they wanted to sit at the right and the left too. So Jesus calls another time out, and he's like, no, 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 time out, grabs a chair, huddle up in today's age, put on your mask, right? And he says, you know that those who were regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Okay, this is just a clean and clear contrast of the scorecard of the world. You know this is how the world thinks about leadership. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Here's how power gets used. Not so with you. Instead, now he's moving us to the Jesus scorecard. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, he's, he's describing himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, what, what, what is Jesus saying there? He's like, look, I know when you think about leadership, According to the world, the scorecard is, what's your position? It's positional, right? What's your title? What's your role? Leadership in the kingdom of God, according to the scorecard of Jesus, is we give ourselves away. It is sacrificial, Jesus says. Let's go to one more here. Jesus keeping a different score. We might be familiar with this because we kicked off this whole series with this moment. Jesus is rolling into Jericho. And... When, when a distinguished guest rolls into a new town, that town will send out its very best to go greet them far before they reach the city gates. They'll send out their, their ambassadors, right, to kind of usher them in through the city gates because you want to create a very, just the right kind of, um, you know, experience for them. And you want to put your, you know, all your best forward, right? You want to send out your prettiest. You want to send out your richest. You want to send out your, your very best, the shiny folks, right? They, they go out to greet the dignitary, and that's what's happening. They're ushering them in through the gates, but there's one guy. He's a beggar beside the road. His name is Bartimaeus. He's, he's Timaeus's kid, and he's been blind like forever, and he's sitting down there, and he's hearing that this dignitary is coming through, and he gets some sort of reconnaissance to learn that not only is it just a big, a big shot, his name is Jesus, and some are saying he's the Messiah. So this blind beggar, poor as dirt, who's inhaling the traffic of them just trampling through. He's inhaling the dust of all the important sandals. Walking by, he just starts shouting out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And they all, everyone usher is like, shut up, shut up. Like, don't, you know, don't, Jesus, don't see the poor guy. We don't have too many issues here in our town of Jericho. Don't mind the blind shouting beggar, but he won't quit. And Jesus stops, just like the rich man. Think about this. Jesus looked at the rich man and loved him. And I think in this moment, the same thing is true. Jesus heard the poor blind beggar and 
and loved him and said, bring him to me. And the disciples come to this man and they say the most beautiful words I think that have ever been spoken. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. He is calling you. And what do we learn in that moment? That in a world that, where people get valued so differently to the point where some are more expendable than others, Jesus says, everyone to me is essential. Everyone. I keep a different score. Now, let me just ask you. What world do you want to live in? I mean, just look at this list. This look familiar? This rears its ugly head in every industry, every sector, every continent, every business, every home. Unfortunately, it rears its head in the church and in each of us. On the playground, it it, it shows itself as bullying in the corporate space, backstabbing, in governmental space, politicking, betraying. It's division. It leads to injustice. It leads to oppression. I mean, this is the Darwinian way, isn't it? The survival of the fittest. Ultimately, in its worst expression, it leads to genocide. And we see it. In our own lives, we see it in our own hearts. Now let's look, though, at the scorecard of Jesus. Who wouldn't want to live in this reality? Where everyone's like, hey, no, you, like, you, you, you go, like, hey, we're more together than, we're, than we are apart. You know what? Everyone is made in the image of God. And no one deserves the higher seat or the better seat because I, I'm just going to live with a sense of humility. And I exist to give all that I've been entrusted with away. And everyone matters. Everyone is essential. Who, wants, who wouldn't want to live in that world? And when you live from that place, ah, oh, it's so freeing. It's so liberating, you guys. And I know that you're experiencing it as well. Scripture describes what this kind of life will, will feel like. It's loving. There's this joy about it. It sounds crazy, I know, like... You mean I give things away and I experience? Yes. It's the upside down form of the kingdom. It's so counterintuitive and yet it's so true. There's a peace that comes from this. There's a vitality. There's all sorts of things that actually change the world. This scorecard of Jesus, if we live by it, will literally change the world. Why? Because we're joining Jesus in his redeeming work. This is what I love about Westside, by the way. I haven't said this in any of the other um, services yet this, 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 thus far, but if you were part for Global Impact Sunday and you, and you got to experience all the things that we're going after together, it's right here. And it's happening in our city and it's happening around the world. It changes the world. This is what happened in the early church. Why did the early church grow from like only 120 folks who were just crazy to... 25 plus million in just about two centuries time. How did that happen? Well, things like Christ followers going into the streets, 
picking through the refuse and trash piles and finding abandoned babies who were still alive and saying, not on our watch, not according to the scorecard of Jesus, infanticide has no place here for us, and they would raise these babies up as their own. How did the early church grow? Well, it was because women, for the first time ever, found themselves as people of dignity, and those that were disenfranchised through other religious systems and hierarchies all of a sudden said, you mean I can be on equal footing and I can be considered essential in the kingdom of God? I'm in. This is how the early church grew. And there's one person after another after another for 2,000 years that have lived from this way and it's changed the world and their world. Father Damien, who said, I'm going to bring the scorecard of Jesus to lepers, Mother Teresa, who said, I'm going to go into the slums of Calcutta and care for the abandoned and the poorest of the poor. St. Patrick, who said, I'm going to bring love to barbarians. William Wilberforce, who said, I'm going to leverage all my status, all my hierarchy, all of my power. I'm going to leverage it to see that the slave trade is abolished. Nelson Mandela, when everyone said, no, revenge for all the apartheid in South Africa, said, no, we're going to pursue love and reconciliation. Martin Luther King, he had so much pressure to flip from a nonviolence approach to violence because the pain and the anguish was so deep. He said, no, the only scorecard I live by is the one here of Jesus. Jackie Pullinger, who said, with 10 bucks in her pocket, I'm going to go to Hong Kong and I'm going to go into the most forbidden place called the walled city, and I'm going to care for opium addicts. Dave, a friend of mine, business leader, who says to his many employees, hey, I'm your assistant. I'm like your executive assistant. You just ask me what you need me to do for you. April, a, a, a mom with many young kids who lives in a nice little suburb, who says, what does it look like for me to live according to the scorecard of Jesus? Well, about once or, twice, once or twice a month, she goes across town to a mutual friend's of ours apartment. His name is Steve. He's been in a wheelchair, I think, since birth. He's had so many shoulder surgeries that he can hardly even pick himself up and, and do many things he used to before, though he's still incredibly independent. But there's some things he can't do. So what April does is she goes over to his apartment and washes his clothes, changes his bed sheets, cleans his apartment. Why? Because Jesus says, I keep a different score. And this is no way to win. Here is the new way of winning. I want to just ask you, let's just use this as a quick kind of diagnostic. What of kind of the world scorecard has the most power over you right now? Like, yeah, I think I'm measuring, I'm comparing by this, 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 or that. And I'll just share for you, for me, having started a new business in the last uh, year, kind of from this like, oh my goodness, how's this gonna work out from a scarcity mindset to taking the oxygen mask off to now, I'm just like, like What's it like to live in where all my time is billable, right? And I start thinking, well, what's the position of this person? And what's the hierarchy? And I start thinking about all these things being driven here where Jesus is inviting me to come back to the spirit of generosity. It's the only way to live. What is it for you? I want to just give you like 15 seconds 
from this list, just in your mind, to circle what's one thing that you want to be released from and brought more into? I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud, but um, give me like a head nod just for those of you in this room. You can do it on screen too. Just head nod from your family room. That's fine. But do you have something? You're just like, okay, I'm feeling a little weight around one of these. Give me just like head nod like I got something. All right. Great. Now, what do we do with that? Quickly. What we don't do is go, all right, I'm going to stop caring about prosperity and then I'm going to become generous. <laughs> That's what we call behavioral management approach, where actually in my own strength, I'm going to try to just do better and more, which is actually a, a, a religious way of trying to live out still the world scorecard. I have a better scorecard than you, according to, you know, it's called self-righteousness. No, here's how this works. We just invite the Spirit of God, who is constantly breathing the scorecard of Jesus. And we just say, God, I just want to exhale this prosperity thing in me. And I'm just going to ask you to breathe into me. I want to inhale your generosity. That's, that's just, it's just a prayer. We just turn and just kind of this moment of release and this partnership and collaboration. Just like, Spirit of God, just come over me. And just where I feel anxious about finances and where I feel like I'm striving towards one more sale and all of these things that I'm feeling, God, would you just let me exhale that and would the Spirit of God come and bring your deep generous heart more and more. See how that works? Because we're all on this journey. I actually want to invite a friend up here uh, to wrap our time together, and his name is Il Soldato. It's Ryan Hoover, Westsider, a longtime friend of mine. I told you about how he was the free throw coach for Joe Pleasant and want to bring him up now. He's somewhere with his family. Where are you, Hoove? Here he is. Let's welcome up Ryan Hoover. All right. Well, thank you, buddy. All right. Good to be here this morning. So I, 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 we have to ask, what was it like to see your protege, one that you've been investing in last night uh, at the line, nailing those two shots? Yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was kind of mixed emotions because, first of all, my daughters had picked Texas. So I had a little bit of a... <laughs> <laughs> That's a parenting uh, flaw, basically. I don't, I don't know. But go on. <laughs> And, and Lydia was actually like, you picked Texas too. Why are you not cheering for them? And, you know, so it was like, it's more than the pool, you know. And mm. the way that I've seen him pick up and his leadership and just his, um, the way he's worked and his effort and his attitude to, to just take the deep breaths and then do your routine and shoot the shot. Like, it was just uh, a lot of pride in him and just watching him step into the moment was just exciting for him and his team. And as a small picture, you had Texas too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I did. Yeah. But so you could have been about winning, but instead there was something deeper at play, this yeah. person you've been investing in. So as a professional athlete, and I think many of us as like we're drivers, right? We love to, we love to win. How do you process this scorecard question? Because you still want to be after excellence. You still want to be after greatness. It's not what we're saying. So how, how do you process that? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a constant um, challenge. As I was chasing my dreams growing up, 
you know, going after scholarship and going after the pro ball and getting a better contract and, you know, down the line, all these things were what I was going after. Um, even if I, even after I had experienced Jesus in a real way, hmm. I was still going after that stuff. And I still do today, you know, in the business world, it's still, you're still going after greatness. So it's mm -hmm. not your, you're pushing it all aside and saying, right. no, I'm not about that anymore. But it's a new calling that Jesus calls us into the greatness of, of my kingdom, of my scorecard. And uh, that's, that's what I'm going after today. And not perfectly. <laughs> right. Well, in, in effect, um, I, I've experienced that the more I try to live this way, it frees me up, it loosens me up in some ways, and I actually can be more effective at my job. Um, because I know who I am at my core. So you, you've shared with me a story about Wayne Simeon. Uh, KU standout, NBA champion with Miami Heat, follower of Jesus, who literally had to practice this every night he played. Share about that. Yeah, so we were talking throughout my career. I, I come in contact with players like this, and, and Wayne's become a good friend, and we've done some camps and stuff together. And what he said was how he dealt with that. He had so much pressure. Every game, he'd come off the floor and go right, whether it was college or pro or whatever it was, he'd come off the floor and he'd go right to his locker and pick up the stat sheet hmm. and go right to how did I do, hmm. right? So his points, rebounds for him, block shots, not, not so much for me, but I'm looking at my stats. I'm looking at my free throw percentage, field goal percentage. How did I do defensively? Some of that stuff's not on the scorecard, right? So... But over time, that can put pressure on us to perform and produce and get a better contract and get more playing time and all that stuff that we're still going after. Yeah. But what Wayne did, what Wayne said to me, he's like, who, what I did was I, 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 I made out a, a note card and I went down through the scriptures hmm. and I found out what God said about me. And I, I went right to that. I'd go right to my locker and I'd look at this. I'm the light of the world. I'm a child of God. I'm a masterpiece. Mm. All these things, he would just go down that. So he mm. literally took the stat sheet and said, I'm, I'm, I'm going by this one. Wow. And I'm sure at some point the stats still mattered, but what anchored him first was who he was. And he knew that's never up for grabs, that I'm never going to lose who I am yeah. in God's sight. Yeah, and it was just a good picture for me as I was still in my career and now as I work with other professional and college athletes to get them in the mindset of that. Like, you're still going after it, but there's a new way. Well, I think we can all relate, whether it's our sales quota or whether how, um, you know, how cleans the house. To, I mean, all those different things, whatever our different rankings are, um, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. Let's share about, you had said earlier, when you had that experience with Jesus, it sounds like the old car, scorecard got ripped up and you took his. What was that like? Yeah, so in 1997, I was... Uh, just recently out of college, and, um, and I was playing pro ball. I was going after the dream, and, and I didn't know there was another scorecard. Hmm. So I was going after my scorecard, the world scorecard, the big contracts, the, hmm. you know, the money, the fame, all that. And, and I was with a group called Athletes in Action, and I was able to process what was going on in me and to take on this new scorecard, and they they helped me as I was going through this. And like I said, it's still a challenge every single day, but from that point on, it became the new way, the new perspective, um, and the kingdom perspective. And God is challenging me to that every single day through the spirit. He allows me to continue to, 
to mm. focus on him and focus on what he has for me. So um, from that point on, it's, it's been a different way. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's refreshing to know and it's freeing, like you've talked about, um, to have that peace and that joy as you continue to, to have God pour into you as you pour in, into others, as we see on this side of the score. Well, how's the last question, how's the Spirit of God prompting you right now? Yeah, I say, I say uh, the prosperity and the positional um, mm -hmm. in the business world now is, is mm -hmm. um, it hits for me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm working with that like every single day to continue to go after it, continue to go after greatness, yeah. but know that God sees me in, in a different score. Way. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let's thank Hoove. So grateful for you, buddy. Thanks, Thanks. for coming Thanks out. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. Hey, it might be possible, um, and we've actually even heard from some uh, on, online specifically, that you didn't even know there was a different scorecard. That actually this was all, all there was. And I would just say, if that's true, but you're learning today that Jesus has a whole different scorecard, I just want to say, that's the coolest thing ever, because there's a whole new way to live. And you might be going, well, wait a minute, I, I've just... Man, you have no idea, like in the context of Jesus being your coach, like I've got a horrible jump shot, Jesus. I don't think you want me on my team. Here's the best news ever, is that where you might see yourself as like a four or a two or a negative 14, Jesus sees you as a 10 because of his life, his death, his, his resurrection, the fact that one day he's going to return literally and physically. He's going to make all things new. And so in other words, if you've never actually switched over from the old scorecard to Jesus' scorecard, I'm just telling you, it's time to change teams. Because in the context of what Jesus has done and who he is, you can't lose that way. And in the context of what great college coaches do, they recruit, they recruit, they recruit, they go into the homes, and you know, they knock on the door and they say, here's how I want you and here's where you fit on the team. Jesus has been doing the same thing with, with you and for you. He's been coming to you for a long time. He's been knocking on the door going, I want you on my team. And you're like, no, I, I don't know. I'm not very, yes, I want you. You're a 10. And you might even say, hey, but Dan, actually you have no idea. It's not that I'm just, I have a bad jump shot. It's that I've done some really deep, dark, evil things. Still doesn't matter. I, th I, I think of John Newton. Again, another like moment changer in history. John Newton was a slave trade trafficker. His whole scorecard in his life was how many slaves can I transport from a different continent into the United States at a profit? That was his scorecard. How atrocious and horrific and evil was that? And then he meets Jesus and Jesus goes, shoo, 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 blows up his old scorecard. And if anyone were to think, how could I ever join Jesus' team? I put people in shackles and then put the like cargo into little tiny spaces on ships. How could I ever join Jesus' team? Well, he figured it out. And he wrote a song called Amazing Grace. What's the jump from the world scorecard to the Jesus scorecard? It's this thing called grace that Jesus has done this for you. And it's amazing. And it's your best life. And so if you have never actually joined Jesus' team, all you do is just say, Jesus, I want to join your team. Here's my old jersey. I'm going to take your new one.
Here's my old scorecard. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take now your scorecard. So come into my life. I receive your forgiveness by way of your death on the cross. I step into a new life empowered by the very power that abandoned the grave when you were raised from the dead. I just want to be on your team. You can just say it right now wherever you are. You can just say, Jesus, I want to join your team. I'm tired of living this way. I want to step into this new life. I want to join your team. And as you do that, here's what we just constantly proclaim. Just like when a player switches teams, you know, it's announced in the papers, it goes public. You can't privately switch teams. It's public. That's what baptism is. We go find water to say, I am now on Jesus' team, and we say to one another, and I'm on your team, and I'm receiving his new life for my old, his perfect life for my broken one, and I'm stepping into the new life with his power. So, if that's rising up in you, we have water. It's out in the commons area. Go seek it and, and proclaim, I'm joining this team. If you're at the Speedway campus, your baptismal is over to the, to the left. If you're online, just throw in the chats or comments that you want to get baptized. Maybe you're not quite ready. Easter is coming up, Resurrection Weekend. Maybe that's when you like, want to sign up and do it. You can do it then. Or maybe you want to talk with somebody. So we have folks at the corners of the room that would love to just pray with you, process that with you. Similarly at Speedway, throw it in the chats and comments if you're, you're, if you're online right now. Here's the deal, is that Jesus says, I keep a different score. So cheer up on your feet. In fact, I wanna ask you, if you were able, would you stand right now onto your feet as we worship together, as we celebrate this good news? Cheer up. Now that we're on our, our feet, he's calling you. He's calling you to the team. And you can't lose because this is the new way of winning. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, we sing together. Amen.